What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Nurse Ree, and welcome back to another episode of Forensic Nurse Files. We just want to note that this podcast uses foul language and contains descriptions of adult themes and violence that some of y'all may find disturbing. So if you need support, please check the show notes or visit our website. Thanks for coming back for a second episode. It's Nurse Ree and Nurse Joy. And today we're going to talk to you guys about suspicious injuries. Ooh. So you know what? <laughs> it's so funny because suspicious injury sounds way crazier oh i mean like not that it's crazy not not that it's not crazy but it just sounds like way scarier than it actually is right which is funny because i feel like this is the call we got the most right so i i need to go back into the office and pull my numbers because they actually keep track of how many cases we've done and what kind of cases and then like our total amount of cases i think yearly right or something Mm -hmm. started working there and Mm -hmm. suspicious injury for me definitely I honestly think this was the most the most case that I did. Yeah, I agree. I think it was super common. The stories we would get and stuff, like, I'd be like, dude, is this real life? Like, it was, it was just... so, like, it was, for me, it was just bizarre. Like, people would tell me what would happen, and I would, I would just blankly stare at them, like, it's Tuesday night. Why are you getting hit in the head? Hit a, like hit in the head with a tequila bottle at a bar. You know, like what? Right. right. Like, in the morning. Right. I feel like I had one time where I had like three or four gunshots, and it was a day shift. It was like nine a.m. <laughs> what Bro, are you doing out here, dude? Like, I'm trying to get breakfast at nine a.m. I don't know why some of these people are out here shooting, shooting each other out. Like, no. Right, right. Um, and then we would get, so later on we'll describe, um, we would get, like, the school fights, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll talk a little bit later about how we would determine whether, um, so we would get kids underage, like, fist fighting at school, and Mm -hmm. um, some people would be trying to figure out, okay, well, is this a child abuse versus a suspicious injury because of the age? Because if it was two adults fist fighting each other, then it would definitely be an SI, but because they were children... There was kind of like that gray area. Yeah, it was always confusing. So let's talk a little bit about what a suspicious injury is. So suspicious injury is any type of assault that's not child abuse, domestic violence, or sexual assault. It can be an injury to any part of the body. This also can include the death or injury of a person as a result of an interaction with a police officer. So we're seeing that a lot now too, but we didn't really do those. I... I feel like I've never done one, me specifically, I've never done one versus a police officer, but I did do a sexual assault where the the patient thought it was a police officer. But we'll talk about that when we talk about sexual assault. That one was crazy, though. That one was crazy because she was also a, what was it, a, a VAWA? Is that what we uh, used to call mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. It went under a VAWA, so it was my first VAWA, and it was my first sexual assault versus a law enforcement I don't think I ever had a VAWA. And just for reference, VAWA stands for Violence Against Women Act, and that allows the victim to still get the sexual assault kit done, but their identity is completely anonymous. It's private. They don't have to give us their name, birthday, any information, but they can still get that kit done. But I did do cases, I think I did two of people that were in custody, excuse me, and I don't know if I was really supposed to, but I did. I did. I sure did. But I think it was questionable over who started it. Yeah, so one of the in-custodies that I did was a bar fight. I feel like a lot of our physical assaults um, were bar fights, especially working night shifts like that between like 
1.30 to like 3 a.m. is when all the bar fights start coming in, right? Because the bars close around 2. So she said she was there with her friends. The DJ made the last call. They're making their way to the door. And she said there was some kind of altercation at the door with the bouncer. The bouncer had pushed somebody and then a brawl broke out. And so she said that the girl that was in front of her, like, I don't know if she knowingly or unknowingly threw her elbow back and hit the patient in her right eye. So the patient started swinging on the girl that was walking in front of her. And so that's how she ended up in custody and in our ER. Mm-hmm. So they Did you do the girl, both of the girls that fought each other? Oh, shit. Both, yeah. We got both sides of the story. Yes, yes. I feel like bar fights are pretty funny because they're usually still drunk when they come in. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when they come in and I talk to them, I often wonder how blacked out they are. Right. You know, because then they'll start going off on tangents, which is me on like a normal day, sober. <laughs> but <laughs> it's true. But then, you know, like they're so animated and you can kind of smell like the alcohol coming off of them still. Mm-hmm. And then those are kind of in the gray area too because it's like you're consenting to this right i'm not really sure if you can give me consent right now but the cop says i should so i don't know right but we're doing this so types of si's Mm -hmm. that we saw so we already kind of talked about physical assaults like we said those include school fights too gunshots were my favorite patients dude so the gunshots that didn't that weren't fatal or really uh like i guess life-threatening the ones that weren't life-threatening and they were just injured those patients were so pissed they were so mad like they were mad that they had gotten shot and then they were mad like at you because they had gotten shot standing there with your little camera and the little (laughs) fucking clipboard with the dust on it like hi my name is Sid. so i'm from forensics and they're standing there bleeding like blankly looking at you like yeah, or an excruciating pain. Yeah, just staring at you like, are you serious? You can get, get can you do this later? Yeah. <laughs> oh I feel like there was never a good time to do gunshots because when they first come in, they're either either critical, like you said, right, and they're like being rushed off somewhere, or they're in so much pain that they don't want to see you or have anything to fucking do with you. Let alone you have to like turn them to get the angle wherever the gunshot may be. Like I had one in the ass. Oh, <gasps> that dude was fucking. Yes. He was running away though and he got shot. Oh, and he got shot in the ass. Dude, yeah. did the bullet like go through? No, it was lodged in his thigh, like up upper thigh in the back. And he was fine? He was fine. He was fucking pissed. Oh, did they send him to surgery? Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, he went to oh, surgery. Dude. But it wasn't like an emergent surgery. I'd be pissed too though. Yeah, I'd be fucking Bitch, you shot him in the ass and you're trying to fucking talk to me right now? Yeah take some pictures and yeah like but then if you wait to do it like after they go to surgery and after they've been sutured up and everything then the wound is covered and there's really no point of taking the picture because what are you taking a picture of but i also feel like gunshots were the most common ones to decline yeah yeah because they They a lot of it was gang related i feel like and or they knew the person Mm-hmm. So I feel like some of mine might may have been domestics and they it was their partner and they were just like we would just get big stories. Like I don't know who it was. I didn't yeah. see them. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember. When yeah. like I don't know. I think they very clearly do and just don't want to tell me. Right. So we also did stabbings. I only had a handful of stabbings. I had maybe 
I don't know. I had a few. I, I for some reason, I feel like I got stabbings more than gunshots. Mm-hmm. And those people, you thought gunshots were pissed? Stab <laughs> <laughs> victims were pissed. Well, because <laughs> when I got them, right, they weren't critical, obviously, because if they were, they would have gone straight to surgery. So they're, and most of the time, these stabbings were not with, like, high-grade, like, weapons. They were just right. with, like, fucking butter knives and like kitchen knives not a butter knife yeah like (laughs) i remember this guy i think he got he i had he got stabbed five times in the back um five times five times in the back because he was sitting in a he was sitting in a car and it was a coupe so he couldn't like get out of the car without moving it was a two-door yeah so he was in the back and he couldn't like get out without moving the seat and then and then opening the door (laughs) so the guy who stabbed him like got back in there with him and so he was like stuck and he stabbed him with like some sort of shank it wasn't some high grade like nice fucking hunting knife or something so it was like i don't know honestly now that i think about it it may have been like a pen but like Ooh. these stab wounds are nasty and like i mean not not like the patient was nasty but the stab wounds are gross because there were i think there was um like material from whatever he stabbed him like stuck in there still oh. yeah because Ooh. it wasn't you know sharp. yeah and the patient was pissed like he was leaning over and uh i was taking pictures of his back he's like this motherfucker fucking came up in here and tried to fight me and he's like just talking shit and i was like dude i I wouldn't, I don't know, I wouldn't, I feel like I would be a little more panicked if someone stabbed me that many times. Right. But this guy right. was just mad. I feel and like the stabbings, like, he was what? He was like, I'm gonna find this motherfucker. And I was like, I I don't, I don't. Yeah. You're not, sir. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the stabbings uh, that I have done were like homeless people, unhoused people on the street. And they didn't, yeah, like, and they were in, like, homeless encampments, and who knows what the arguments were over, you know, Mm -hmm. but they never knew who stabbed them. Yeah, yeah. Never. But I did have one chick who I clearly remember was an intimate partner situation, and her boyfriend stabbed her in the arm, and she was fucking not happy. (laughs) Oh, now that you say that, I also had a... Uh, intimate partner violence which or domestic violences they're now calling them intimate partner violences mm-hmm. so i have this lady oh this is gonna be in our domestic i mean i'm sorry intimate partner violence episode because she was driving the car when he stabbed her with oh. their children in the back what? yeah uh, see what yeah. About? we worked in a straight war zone yeah dude no dude and so oh my gosh and see she was so nice she was so nice mm-hmm. and she was so you know because when he stabbed her i like i said it was probably not a high high grade knife or whatever but he stabbed her so she just had like shallow abrasions um she had like four or five but yeah that story is gonna be fun to tell not fun but yeah a good one to listen to because that one had the kids watched right so then it was also a dcfs thing and a child abuse thing because when your children witness some sort of violence it's considered child abuse so i had to call dcfs for that and all that stuff and then Uh, anyways back to the podcast right um so the other type of si we see is car accidents intentional car accidents which i never got a call for but i just remember being told like Say there's an accident and, um, you know, somebody intentionally tries to run somebody over, then that's something we would 
go to. Yes, we would get called to that. I had one that was also an intimate man. These intimate partner violence is that yeah. be good because those are crimes of passion, mm-hmm. and I hate using that word. I really need to find another synonym for that because when you hear the word passion, it's associated with a good thing, and mm-hmm. these were just not good things to. Right. When I say passion, I mean like elaborate, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and with a lot of feeling behind it. Um, there was an intimate partner violence, and I think. He drove the car away, and she was standing next to it, so he ran over her foot. But the obstacle was, because he was driving away and they were fighting, was it considered intentional or not? Mm. But, I don't know. It probably wasn't intentional. It probably was, I don't know. They were purposefully fighting. <laughs> intentionally fighting. Mm-hmm. The question just was, did he intentionally run her foot over or accidentally so that was the only one i got that was yeah. kind of like they called me for that and i remember i didn't do it because she had to go to surgery mm. so i've been like not a victim of like an intimate partner violence situation but i've been definitely caught in the middle of one where mm-hmm. my two friends this is when i lived in a different state my two friends we were drunk um and they were fighting and um i was they were both in the car and I was still getting in the car and he took off and I was <gasps> completely in the car. Yeah, I still have scars all up and down my left leg from it. You I never told drug. me that? Mm-hmm. Or that drug from the car. Yeah, I have to find a picture. You, pictures wait, of my what? Mm-hmm. Did you just say fun fact? <laughs> Did you just yeah. fucking say? Wait, hold on. Okay, so you were getting in the car and he drove off and so you fell on your back and then he ran you over no, so I fell forward. So I w- he was in the driver's seat, and then my f- other friend was in the passenger seat. They were arguing. I was trying to get in the back seat, so I had my right leg in because I was on the driver's side, right? The driver's side back. So I had my right leg in, and he took off. So I'm holding on to the door with my hands. You know, I'm hanging on for dear life while my left leg was dragging outside of the car. Shit. Yeah, it was fucking wild. And I was really drunk, so I don't completely remember all the details of the situation, but I do definitely have pictures of it. Dude, you never told me this story. Yeah. What? How how bad was it? Like, did you, ha- you got to go to surgery, yeah? No, it was just scrapes up down my leg. Like, my no. leg was fucked up. Did you break anything? Mm-mm. It was just, like, abrasions up and down my leg, thankfully. I feel like when you're drunk, you have, like, superpowers. Like, it's <laughs> just saying the shit I have done when I'm... I'm like, how did it... How did why? Also, why? Right. So, we'll just talk a little bit about our sequence and what we do when we go see these patients. Because, what do you call that? The, like, mode of operation for each case is pretty much the same. So... Yes. Um, the protocol, I guess. Yeah, the protocol. Usually what happens for our facility is we'll either get a call, which is called a trauma call, um, and it's just an automated call that would come to our office it's a recording um and it'll be like 44 year old male gunshot wound to left thigh arriving in 10 minutes with squad car whatever and yeah pretty much what it'll we would print uh, like a face sheet which has all the details about the patient mm-hmm. their name their address their date of birth their phone number their mexican um we would get labels for that because we have to take pictures of what's called a uh, bookend Mm-hmm. Before we do our photos, and then we would get whatever form coincides with that injury. So in this case, it would be the SI form. Um, and then, so we would get either a trauma call or the ER would just call us too. That was something that mm-hmm. would happen. 
Um, and so then we would go see the patient. But um, so I and I so our protocol is that right. But I I a little I do it a little differently, and I think um, it depends on the type of patient. So mm-hmm. I honestly I would wait for them to get here first mm-hmm. because if if say like someone was shot in the face, <laughs> you know. I and I'm very aware that I'm the last person who should be in that trauma bay. In that right, place. right, take like pictures and shit. Trying to infuse blood and you know get vitals, start IVs, all that stuff. And I'm like, hi, here I am. It's forensics, <laughs> you know. Like, no, girl, you can wait. This patient needs to go to surgery right now. Why are you here? The show, like, one hundred percent. So I would wait until they would at least get seen by the triage nurse so I could know how bad the suspicious injury was. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) They tell us, though, that, you know, the the pictures are always better when they first come in, and we understand that, but um, medical always goes first. The medical needs always goes first. We can wait until later um, because I just hate being that person. Like, oh, you just got shot in the face? Excuse me, can I take a picture of that before you go to surgery? Right, right. So. And then you also have to get consent, too. So if they're like super unstable, you're not going to be able to get in there and get consent from them. And also, like, they're not going to want to fucking talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to talk to you. Especially if they're, like, bleeding out or some shit. Yeah. You know? I wouldn't want to talk to me either. Yeah, so I actually did the same thing in... Sometimes I would even wait until they were, like, in an actual room and not in the trauma bay. Yeah. Especially when we would get called for, like, gunshots or something, stabbings, they're in the trauma bay. Yeah. So I I try not to, I try to, you know, read the room first before I try to stick my camera (laughs) anywhere. Read the room. (laughs) Yeah, read the room. Um, But before that, we're supposed to check the camera case. Um, So the worst thing, and this has happened, I think once to both of us is when you have um a case you go in you do all the forms all that stuff and then you pick the camera up and it's dead yeah and it's dead oh yeah just got beaten up or shot or whatever and i'm like i gotta go back to my office real quick can you just stay right here <laughs> yeah oh my God. it was a journey to go back to the office Yes, our office isn't in the ER. And the walk wasn't that long, but it was just a hassle to walk out of the building, down, you know, a little bit away from the ER, into the office, into the room to get the battery. With the dolly. With the the dreaded dolly. (laughs) And replace the battery when you could have just been a responsible adult and Mm -hmm. checked the battery level before you left yes i feel like this is the equivalent of so if you know bedside nursing like you know you do your safety checks at the beginning of your shift like you're mm-hmm. making sure your bag and mask is there your suction is there your drink yeah. is there like this is our equivalent of that and you just should make sure you do it otherwise you gonna Dude, regret like, it it's like going into like a covid room and like you gown up you make sure your supplies are gathered like you have all these meds you group the meds together you cluster your care you go in there and you find out the tubing is expired yeah <laughs> no. so you gotta like yes. stick your head out wait for someone to walk by who's also hello not from busy the other side. <laughs> hello from the uh- oh my gosh excuse <laughs> me hey can you get me a primary line thanks and then like, oh. <laughs> yeah it's, it's literally the worst 
that yeah so, that uh, or sometimes there's no bookends in there that's happened to me oh. too what did that you do happened to me a go back and get go back bookends. and get bookends i guess i could have just like taken a white paper and like but you need the blue line you need the blue strip on there mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh-huh. so do your checks. First world nursing problems. Right. For real. <laughs> For real. So you need that. Um, so it says mannequin on here. I would never take the mannequin only because like the strangulations and we'll talk about strangulations later. Mm-hmm. Um, I only use the mannequin for the strangulations and those typically I prefer to do them in the office. Yeah. Because for strangulations, because it is a very... Um, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, it's type of injury and suspicious injury that could potentially kill you on the first try. Um, I make sure those pictures are articulate. Yeah. So yeah. I always try to bring my strangulations back. Some of them have refused, but strangulation pictures are a whole different branch and mm-hmm. set of protocols because this injury is different yeah i had to take the mannequin one time because i had a victim that was in maine and they could not come back to the office yeah that's a good point yeah if they're so for us maine is like where they keep the psych holds so i did have a patient that was a victim of strangulation but she was on a psych hold so Mm -hmm. obviously you don't want to bring them back to the office i mean not obviously you don't want to it's safety so you're it's your own discretion but a lot of them are not able to leave the unit anyways yeah end up having to do their exam like in the er yeah but that's the only i think that only happened one time where i had to actually bring the mannequin it's just a lot of supplies that you have to bring over and when there are more elaborate cases it's easier to just bring them back to the office especially like you said with strangulation because you have to collect evidence and then do special type of pictures and like Mm -hmm. all that stuff Mm -hmm. i actually really um I actually really like doing strangulations. I don't know. Not that I liked getting strangulation patients, but the whole... You like strangling people. I do... <laughs> Only if it's consensual. <laughs> if it's anything you guys should take away from this podcast is that consent is cool and mandatory, okay? Yes, yes. Cool. <laughs> if anything you guys take away from this podcast is consent is cool and mandatory. You can yes. do anything you... Anything... If y'all are into some shit... That's fine as long as you both are consenting adults and you have an agreement and everything is great and consensual, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely, I definitely support consensual strangulation if you like that. But if it's that's it, <laughs> that's it. You know what I've also heard is that there's classes on how to uh, strangulate. What is it called? Sexual strangulation or something like that? Okay. Like how you can hold them and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You like it? I love it. Like, all right. And I remember, I think when I saw it, it was like you could do it in a way to like avoid the windpipe and all that stuff, or not to. Sque- yeah, isn't that cool? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool? I mean, hey, safe. Se- I mean, when people say safe sex, <laughs> <laughs> safe sex, guys. Yeah, yeah, safe sex for sure. Who knew they have classes on strangulation? I mean, but. It, like smart though right yeah 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 you would want to know if you're doing it right. correctly. Mm. so after the mannequins it's fucking dolly oh my god 
Yeah, the dolly. So our camera is in like a mini briefcase type situation, and it's heavy and it's big because it's a forensic camera. Um, our facility uses SDFI, which is Secure Digital Forensic Imaging. Um, it has that in there. It has a measuring tape. It has your bookends, which are pretty much these little white flashcards with a blue line. And what you do with those is you'll put a patient label on there. Put the time you're starting your pictures and then your initials on there or your names. And then you take a picture of that before you start your pictures. And then when you're finished with your pictures, you put the end time mm-hmm. and you take and you sign it. Yeah. There are resources in there that we bring to our patients. Uh, all of our patients are victim of crime. So they get mm-hmm. victim of crime pamphlets. Um, if there's child abuse, they get that. There's just... Mm-hmm domestic violence there's resources for like therapy or for shelter stuff like that what else is in there it's the cards Mm -hmm, the cards the um rulers oh yeah rulers that we use for to measure um any injuries the measuring tape that we use for strangulation that's it so it's pretty big it's heavy it's clunky and like we said we have to walk to the er which is i don't know maybe like it's just an annoying walk. It's just, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we have to put that on a dolly. For whatever reason, we never had a bungee cord to secure <laughs> no. the camera case that with the dolly. Make, that would make too much sense. Remember? Yeah, like nothing was easy in this office. No, nothing. Why is everything hard? We would, <laughs> we would text each other, why is anything never easy here? No, like, so- so the problem, like, the problem would have been solved with this stupid fucking bungee cord, but for some yeah. reason, we never had one. Because, like, the dolly was, you know, upright, and then you would set the case on, you know, the end of it, and then, which is great if it's leaned up against something, mm-hmm. and it, it's fine, but when you put it back, do you know how many times I've dropped that fucking case because yeah. I put the dolly back upright, and then it, like, tumbled down, everyone stopped and stared at me? Same. That's probably why we had so many issues with the fucking camera and it never wanted to work half the time. And it's not like a smooth ride going to the ED. No. It's like, it's bumpy. So that shit is wobbling like while you're walking like, in. Including my patient that just got assaulted staring at me. Because <laughs> yeah. this is fucking... <sighs> and that's I love wild as fuck. Same. When it I would fall, the whole ED would stop and look. It's like, stop yeah, and yeah. that? It's like a gunshot yeah. or something. But after we made this journey with this fucking dolly <laughs> to the patient, then we'd be so doing bitter. <laughs> I'm so bitter. I bet I, you know what? Like I said, I love hated that dolly. So, you know, at least there's a bungee cord now. Yeah. <laughs> that one fucking Finally. $2 bungee cord that would have solved everyone's fucking everyone's pain fun. and suffering. <laughs> when I first started, I would just carry the camera. Yeah. I remember you telling me you would carry it. I'd be like, you're buff because this shit is yeah. fucking. Yeah, I used to carry it because I couldn't with the dolly. I couldn't. Well, because you couldn't that much with the dolly that you just carried it. All right, so you'd arrive to the ER, and then Mm -hmm. I would go see the provider um, first to get kind of, yeah, to get kind of the um, story down uh, or what they had told the provider because in a lot of cases, the story starts to get warped because the patient has to tell it so many times, you know? Yeah. Um, So I 
created a good report with all of the ER providers on purpose, not just for that, but because I, I genuinely liked them all. And I wanted to, I wanted them to know that we're all on the same team and like whatever I could do to help them, things like that. It would just make our lives easier towards each other and for the patient. So I would go talk to the provider first to get the story down and then I would go see the patient. Yeah. I followed the same protocol because yeah, like you said, sometimes they want to come in with you so that the patient doesn't have to keep. Yeah. Or um, some providers would wait for me to get there so that we could go in together and have the patient tell the story one time. Mm -hmm. And then if there was some sort of injury, we would look at it together one time to prevent, Mm -hmm. you know, the patient having to show us twice, Mm -hmm. um, the provider on a medical level and then us on a forensic level. Teamwork makes the dream work. Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) So there was also always an issue of privacy. Um, It's really hard when you're working in the ER and People who have either been in the ER or have worked in the ER probably know this, that there are rooms that are in the hallway. Um, mm-hmm. Patients are not always put in a private room. And for us too, um, they would usually call us when the patient came through triage. So they're still in the waiting room. Mm-hmm. And you don't always want to keep your patient waiting, but sometimes you just have to wait until they're in a room to come and talk to them about something that's so intimate. Yeah, and I was always really self-conscious, not even for, not for me at all, but for the patient. So I would try really hard to separate them from the bay or I would use, we had one enclosed room that was available to us, but not all the time. So I would try to utilize that room and... And it was also far. It was also far, yeah. (laughs) Nothing was ever easy in forensics. Nothing was easy. And it was in Maine where they did the psych holds. Yeah. (laughs) So you had to, like, walk past all of the psych patients to get to this room just for someone to tell you, you know, like, their story. But it's hard. It is hard. (laughs) So we tried our best. We tried our best. And at the same time, though, sometimes it was easier to go see your patient in the waiting room real quick because, like I said, with SIs, they're easier to do, but they also are decline very frequently. So you might just go pop in the um, waiting room, talk to them real quick. Do you want us to do this? And they say no. You just tell them, okay, I have to load. No, I still have to notify law enforcement, and then that's it. Um, mm-hmm. And then you don't ever have to come back and see them again. The main patients that I would go see in the waiting room were the sexual assaults. Um, If they came in on their own and not with law enforcement, I would try to make it a point to go see them when they were in the waiting room because it can take two to four hours for law enforcement to respond to the emergency room or to our office to come see these patients. And so you want to start to get that ball rolling as quick as possible so that it lessens the amount of time that the patient has to be with you or just like be in this whole process. Yeah, we just have to we really just have to use our discretion with that one. There's not a set like way to do things. So yeah, so after there's a lot for forensics. I feel like there was a lot of figuring it out. Yeah, we were just kind of out there figuring it out. Yeah. I have this one intimate partner violence. This intimate partner violence episode is going to be f- crazy. There's probably going to be multiple episodes. Multiple, yeah, but because now that I, I keep thinking about all of these things that we had to hurdle over, you know, um, there was this one intimate partner violence, which she was underage. And mm. so that begs the question, is this a child abuse or an IPV? 
and she mm. kind of the same as you she had some sort of injury on her legs from a car and i think she also got dragged out of the car which is mm. wild that that happened to you and you never told I me no i know it just flashed in my mind i gotta find a picture yeah um and she was out in the hallway and mm-hmm. they, there were no beds available for or no uh, private rooms available for me to take these pictures and she said she couldn't walk and if she because i was gonna have to have to get her up to walk her to the office to take these pictures and she didn't want to because her leg was hurting which like i also wouldn't want to if my leg right. was hurting. so i was trying to figure out how to take these pictures in a hallway because I couldn't move her. Yeah, I have. I've had to do that too. So like, it's always tricky, super tricky to like not have anything in the background and like keep them, give them privacy. Like it's just never a good thing. I the good thing about be. our ER and like the nurses and the providers is that they'll hustle and like find a spot for you. You just might have to wait a little bit, but once mm-hmm. they clear out the room, they would let you go in there and um, do your thing. Yeah, they were very supportive. Yeah, you, we just just had to communicate that with them, and they would always accommodate us. Oh, yeah. So we would get consent. Say they decline, then I already told you guys what we would do for that. Say they accept. Um, so then that's where it comes for waiting for them to get in a room. They get in a room. You go in with the provider. You get the story. You see the injuries. You take photos of the injuries. You give them your resources. And then we would just go back to the office, do our paperwork, call DCFS if we need to, which we'll talk about more in the child abuse episode. But that was pretty much it. But the other thing I want to touch on is that we work extremely close with law enforcement. And we'll get into more detail about that when we talk about our sexual assaults. But normally, if they're a trauma, say like a, a critical gunshot stabbing or a critical physical assault, anything like that, domestic violence... Law enforcement usually is already at the bedside. If they come in as a trauma, they're already aware. But for anybody else, we have to notify them. have to tell them that no matter what, whether they accept or decline, you have to notify law enforcement. And that's something that a lot of people are not okay with. (laughs) Yes, they're not okay with that. But we do have to abide by our mandatory reporting. So every nurse Mm -hmm. is a mandatory reporter. And in our case, pretty much almost everything is... um, reportable to law enforcement so that would kind of assault yeah our patients have been assaulted yes yes exactly and so um i mean there have been cases where i didn't have to call law enforcement like this one time i had a patient who blacked out he blacked out drunk and woke up with injuries but then when i went and saw him he said he couldn't remember if he got in a fight or if he fell down he doesn't remember where he went he doesn't remember who he was with after a certain time and he was very like I don't know what to tell you. Like, I blacked out at the bar. I woke up with all these injuries. I don't yeah. think anyone did it, or maybe they did it, or I fell down. I don't remember. Yeah. So I couldn't call law enforcement on him because what? <laughs> yeah, because what are you going to tell them? that? They yeah. Are? <laughs> and he said he didn't seem like he got, he said he didn't think he got assaulted. I think they called me just uh-huh. to make sure. But he was, he was just, he seemed more embarrassed, if anything um yeah i know poor guy he was super nice so that that was for that's an example for one of the cases that i didn't have to call law enforcement for um yeah and a lot of, yeah like i said a lot of people don't understand that you just they're like why do i don't want to talk to the cops but we we have to report it and they can decide to tell them yes or no um if they want to cooperate or not but that's all we do for um suspicious injury oftentimes um 
injuries, suspicious injuries, like physical assaults are categorized by the situation. Mm-hmm. But most of our gunshot wounds, stabbings, fights are, fall under this category. So yeah. um, also a lot of the times the whoever they thought did it was a stranger. So bar mm-hmm. fights, bar fights mm-hmm. um, that's also not another obstacle. Because when we would call law enforcement, they would be like, well, who's the name of the person? Yeah. We don't know because they don't know. So Right. Another thing that was like weird with SIs is that say it's like an adult stranger and then a minor that they're like fighting or something it's not considered yeah. child abuse yeah because child abuse has to be it has um, to be some sort of caretaker exactly exactly so that's that why things things got a little tricky and then we'll do an episode you guys about forensic photography because there's a certain way that we do our photos and that just tells you the correct settings to use when you're using an sdfi camera and what angles to use what kind of background all of that stuff So that wraps up the second episode of Forensic Nurse Files. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.